Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Walk This Way. We're talking about walking in the ways of Jesus. And uh, this, the Bible describes our spiritual life as a walk. And as we walk with God and as we walk with Jesus, there is a pace with which we are to move. There's a divine cadence that God has for us. There's also a destination that God has for us. God wants us to move uh, in a certain direction. Uh, God doesn't want us to linger and have our spiritual life be like looking around and stumbling or sometimes even walking backwards. God wants us to walk this way, to walk in the way of Jesus. And we're going to be unlocking some powerful truths from the first chapter of Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1, over the next few weeks, I hope that you will be with us each of these weeks in this exciting series as we just talk about what we can do to walk with Jesus. Now, unfortunately, uh, there's, there's, there's reasons that we don't walk with Jesus. Sometimes it's that we just make excuses, you know, and God's saying to us today, no more excuses, no more excuses. We need to walk with Jesus. Uh, sometimes we say, well, I'm too busy to work on my spiritual life. I'm too busy to be about the things of God. Or we say, you know what? It's the pandemic, you know, and we have we have lived through a very tough time over these last few months. But but the pandemic cannot become an excuse for us to not walk with Jesus. God has purposes. God has plans. God has things in store for you that are too great to hesitate, to crawl, to walk backwards, to wander, to dither, or to do whatever else that it may be. God wants us to walk with him. And I've called this message ready for Jesus, ready for Jesus. Let's look here together at Mark chapter one. And I'm going to share with you four principles today to get your spiritual life moving in the right direction based on these early verses here in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And here's what Mark is saying to us. I must go with Jesus. Uh, I must go with Jesus. And it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, the son of God. And uh, the Bible refers to Jesus as Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes people think Jesus Christ is like first and last name, like Jesus Christ. But Jesus is his first name, which means God saves. And Christ is his, is his title, anointed one. So he's Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus Christ. It's not like Jody Smith. It is Jesus the Christ. And Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Good news. Good news that God has redeemed humanity in and through his son, Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. It is the good news. And the gospel, the good news is not about good people doing more nice things. It's about people who have blown it being redeemed. That's why it's called the good news. The good news. And John Mark, the writer of the gospel that, that, that bears his name, understood what it was to be a person that lived uh, with the gospel. He, he, was a, he was a guy that experienced a second chance. Uh, if you read the book of Acts... 
Mark is on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he goes AWOL. He runs off. We don't know all the details why he did so, but we know that something, something bad came down, and he, and he ran off. And when you read the book of Acts, you see that a lot of times the, the, the apostles and, and these early leaders of the Christian movement were persecuted. Uh, they were throwing stones at them. They were calling them names. They were putting them in prison. They were doing everything they could to stop the spread of the gospel. And, and it's probable that Mark got intimidated and afraid and he ran off and went home. And Barnabas and Paul had a split over this. Paul took a guy named Silas on some other journeys. And Barnabas took uh, Mark on some other missionary journeys. But here's the great news. Mark came around. Mark became a fantastic, amazing follower of Christ and spiritual leader in the ancient church. And, and that's why in 2 Timothy 4.11, at the very end of Paul's life, he commented on Mark, bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in my ministry. And we know that Mark also wrote this gospel that he inherited much of the information uh, as he wrote from Simon Peter. So, so... Mark experienced the second chance of the gospel. Um, the gospel is the good news because it is about second chances. Some of us have blown it. And maybe you're thinking today, I don't even know if God would want to have a relationship with me because of some of the choices that I've made and some of the decisions that, that I have followed through with. I don't even know if God would be interested. I got some great news for you. The gospel is the good news, and it is the good news that God is the one giving us second chances in and through his son. And that's why it's called the good news, because there is no news that even rivals it. There's no news that is even close to it. And John Mark experienced that, and he wrote, he wrote his gospel in and through that lens of the good news, the second chance. Throughout scripture, we see people who found second chances. Jonah disobeyed God and he got a second chance. Moses, Moses murdered a guard and he got a second chance. Simon Peter denied the Lord three times, second chance. David committed murder and adultery, second chance. Rahab was a prostitute, second chance. It's echoed all the way through the pages of Scripture. God is the God of the second chance. You are not too far from God. Because listen, your relationship with God is not about what you can do to get God's approval. It is about what His Son Christ can do in you to bring you to faith in the Lord. It's a big difference. So, i got to go with Jesus. But I also have to walk in humility. So Mark sets the gospel up and he says, listen, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. But he quickly goes to the prophets. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 2, it says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord to make his path straight. So some people think that Jesus maybe just kind of showed up on the scene and announced, hey, I'm the son of God, come and follow me. No, 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 no. It didn't work that way. Right here in Mark chapter 1, the story begins with the prophets. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, 
the prophets foretold of his birth. So, so when Jesus came on the scene, that was already, that was already told, that was already prophesied about. That, that was like old news in some ways. It was old news and new news. And so the prophets testified about the coming of Jesus. So Jesus didn't show up and self-appoint himself as the son of God. Jesus fulfilled what the prophets had already said. And you can read it in Isaiah chapter 40 and Malachi chapter 3. This is where these references are coming from. And Mark sets it up. Now in Luke and Matthew, you have the genealogies of Jesus in those early uh, verses and chapters. In, in chapter 1 of both of those gospels. Um, and if you've ever read Matthew chapter 1 and you've read all the genealogies, you've probably thought to yourself, I'm going to pluck all of my eyebrows out trying to pronounce all of these guys' names. Um, Matthew and Luke were writing to a Jewish audience, and, and, and lineage and family order was everything in Judaism. Mark is writing to Greeks, to Romans, to people who didn't give a rip about the Old Testament. They didn't know, they didn't care who Abraham was. It didn't matter to them. And so he introduces Jesus in a different way. And that's why you see the distinctions between Mark and Luke and, and Luke and Matthew and Mark. Big, big differences there in the introduction. Okay, now he introduces another guy in the following verses by the name of John the Baptist. And you said in verse 3, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. A guy named John the Baptist shows up on the scene. He's actually the cousin of Jesus. And he's given the assignment by God to prepare the way, to get people ready. John the Baptist was an unusual guy, okay? First of all, he had an unusual diet, okay? He ate wild honey and locusts. And why he chose wild honey and locusts, I have no idea. But I'm going to tell you, John the Baptist has my respect. Any guy that can live off of wild honey and locusts is a bad dude. I mean, come on. I mean, he walks up to a beehive, sticks his hand in there, grabs some honeycomb. He doesn't give a rip about the bees. He's eating the honeycomb. He is a dude. I mean, I'm like, this is a man's man. He was also called the notorious JTB, John the Baptist. And he was eating that wild honey. And he was eating the locusts. Does that sound tasty? You know, they're saying today that this is the year of the cicada mostly in the eastern part of our country. But, but there, there, there are certain, certain types of cicada locusts that only come out every 17 years. They live beneath the earth, and then when the soil gets to a certain temperature, they arise and they like swarm and take everything over. But here's what's cool about the cicada. You're going to be so glad you're at church today. They're edible. You can eat these locusts. They're the size of a jelly bean, and they make a noise like a motorcycle. I mean, they're like super, super, super loud, uh, but they're very, very small. And I have been told, and I've been looking in my backyard for some before I preached to you guys. I wanted to eat some, but I couldn't find any back there. But they say they are extremely tasty. I don't know. Has anybody ever eaten a cicada? Anybody? Okay. Well, they say you, you kind of prepare them like seafood. You can fry them up. You can bake them. You're supposed to pluck the wings off and the legs. And look at that red eyeball. I mean, is that awesome or what? Love that. That look tasty. And they say they're really good on the, like a topping on cookies. Okay, can I get a witness? Amen. They're a great topping on pizza. 
You can put them in your soup. You can put them in your salad. Cicada, cicada, cicada. And they're supposed to be extremely nutritious. Now, here's why I'm excited. They're gluten-free. Amen? They're high-protein and low-fat and low-carb. Does it get any better than that? See, some of you are like going over to King Supers after church, and you're going to be like, hook me up with the cicadas. I want to be like John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he had a weird diet. He had a weird attire, an unusual attire. He wore like a camel skin toga with a leather belt. How about that? Does that sound like Forever 21? It's unusual. It sounds very uncomfortable, doesn't it? Sounds a little scratchy to me. I don't, I don't know. I've never worn a lot of camel, but you know. And he had an even odder message. Repent from your sins and turn to God and get baptized. Wow. So here's this guy with a weird message, with a weird look, with a weird diet, and he's in a weird place, which is out in the desert regions. And he's attracting all the rural people, like, you know, Bubba's coming to hear, coming to hear the preaching of John the Baptist. And he's baptizing all these people. But why, why is John the Baptist important? He's the setup man for Jesus. He's setting the stage for Jesus. And listen, in ancient times before a king would come, a herald would arrive. And many times the armies would go on ahead and they would get everything ready because the king was going to, to make an appearance. And people would get excited. It would kind of like chum the waters. You know, people would get motivated like the king's coming. Like, you know, we got to mow our grass. We, we got to get our house ready. You know, we got to take a bath. I mean, the king's coming. This is good. John the Baptist is, is, is doing the same thing. Uh, they would fill potholes in the roads. They would make the roads straight because the king was coming. And maybe some of us have some potholes in our life that we need to fill for us to journey with Jesus and to follow in the way that he's called us to, 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 to move in. But the example of John the Baptist teaches us that I must walk in humility. I must walk in humility. I mean, I, I, I got to... I got to follow the example of John the Baptist. He said in another passage, he must increase and I must decrease. So the whole point of John the Baptist's ministry was not to receive attention and accolades for himself, but it was to point people to the resurrected son of God. And by the way, guys, things have not changed in 2000 years. Our responsibility, our obligation is to point people to Jesus it's to point people to Christ. It's not for people just to look at us and go, man, what a, what a fantastic family. What, a, what an amazing man. What a tremendous woman. No. We want people to see the God that we serve. I wonder how it would begin to change the language that we use, the goals that we have, the way we spend our money, the priorities of our family. I wonder how all of those would be altered if, if we saw our life as living to point people to Christ rather than just kind of doing our own thing, moving our own direction, making up our own, our own plan for our lives. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. Uh, we represent Christ. Has somebody ever misrepresented you? Have you ever been misquoted on something or misrepresented? Maybe you 
have been down that road before. The scripture is telling us here that, that we don't want to misrepresent Jesus. We want people to see Jesus for who he is. And you know, most of the time when people object to the Christian faith, it's not so much they object to Jesus as much as they object to us. Sometimes people say Christians are judgmental, Christians are hypocritical or dogmatic. What people think about us is a reflection of what people think about Jesus. We need to make sure that the decisions that we make, the way that we live our life is in humility, pointing people to who Jesus really, really is. We don't want to misrepresent him. Jesus is amazing. He really is. Over in John chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist is talking a little bit more about his ministry. The message paraphrase says it like this. You yourself were there when I made it public that I was not the Messiah, but simply the one sent ahead of him to get things ready. The one who gets the bride is by definition the bridegroom. And the bridegroom's friend is best man, that's me, in place at his side where he can hear every word and is genuinely happy. How could he be jealous when he knows that the wedding is finished and the marriage is off to a good start? So John the Baptist says, look, I'm just the best man at the wedding. I'm just an attendant. I'm not, I'm not, the, I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just there rejoicing in the fact. Notice he says, I'm joyful. John the Baptist is like, man, I love it when people follow Jesus because if I got to have a little bit of influence uh, in their life, that's what I'm totally here for. How weird would it be if you went to a wedding and when everybody left, everybody was talking about the mother of the bride? Would that be a little unusual? Okay. What about if you, if you went to a wedding and everybody talked about the bridesmaids, but they didn't say anything about the bride? That would be odd, wouldn't it? Or what if the best man stole the show at the wedding, you know? He was the guy out on the dance floor and everybody was looking at him and nobody was looking at the bride. I mean, you would go, that's messed up. Don't mess up my wedding. John the Baptist says, listen, man, I'm just an attendant. I'm just the best man. Because really, my job is to point people to him, not for me to receive all the accolades. And that requires humility in our life. Listen, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you got to have a humility in your life. You, you got to say, it's him first and me second, not me first. And then I need Jesus to do a bunch of things for me. Jesus, here's my list. No, no, no. We got it all backwards. Well, the story unfolds a little further here in Mark chapter one, verse nine. It says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. A lot of stuff going on right there in those few verses. But the scripture tells us I have to yield to the spirit. I have to yield to the spirit. And at the baptism of Jesus, you have the, whole, the Trinity there. Look at that. You have the Father. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. You have the Son who's getting baptized. And then you have the Holy Spirit descending 
upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Sometimes people ask, well, where is the Trinity in the Bible? There's a lot of examples, but here's, here's a very good one right here. Father, Son, and Spirit, they're all the same, and yet they're all different. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're all there at the, at the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. Now, Jesus is now 30 years old, and he's about to start all the healing and all the miracles and all the teachings and, and, and all that helping people and all that stuff. That comes after this. For three years, Jesus has a public ministry. Uh, before that, he, he was just a dude that was uh, still the son of God, uh, but he was waiting for God to open that door and for him to begin that ministry. Okay, so, so uh, he still was sinless. He was still faithful. He was still godly, all those kind of things. But a turning point happened here at the age of 30 where God says now it's time for the public ministry and he's baptized to open that door. Um, and Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's about to be tempted in the wilderness, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But what I want you to see right here is that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Listen, if you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to do God's purpose for your life, you have to yield to the Holy Spirit. you got to do it. you got to yield to him. The Holy Spirit is God's divine uh, enablement, God's in, in divine power source through which we bear fruit, through which we experience joy, and through which we have spiritual power. Um, maybe you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit working in me. I, I didn't come up with that. That's the fruit of God. What about spiritual giftings? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not just me. That's him. What about power and strength and tenacity? Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And so a lot of Christians get so focused on trying to do things for God that they forget about allowing the Spirit to work in and through their life. And I, I talk to non-believing non, uh, people sometimes, atheists or agnostics, and they're like, Ryan, the Christian life is impossible. Why would I want to even try? And I'm like, you know what? You're exactly right. Apart from the Holy Spirit, me doing it in my own strength? Yeah, absolutely. The Christian life is impossible. That's why we have to rely on him. I have to yield to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what do you want for me? Holy Spirit, where are you leading? Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you want for me? And that's the key that unlocks the rest of your life. I don't want you to live your life for Christ. I want Christ to live his life through you. I think that's what Galatians 2.20 is talking about. It's not about me trying to work harder for Jesus. It's about the Spirit of God working in me and giving me the new nature and the new desires and new ambitions and, and a new focus and so many other things. Uh, but notice here, Jesus is both filled with the Spirit and he's tempted. Okay, and, and, and right there uh, in verses uh, 13, it says he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. So you see the spirit of God descends upon Jesus at the baptism 
And then right after that, he's led by the Spirit. Okay, he's in step with the Spirit. And he goes into the wilderness and he's tempted. Here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit is with you in the good times and the bad times. The Holy Spirit is with you when you're on the mountaintop. I just got baptized. I feel so spiritual. And also when you're in the depths of despair in the wilderness. Now, wilderness is a generous term. It actually, the Judean wilderness is actually not a wilderness. It's actually a desert. And if you read Matthew chapter 4, and it's recorded also in Luke, you see uh, more detail about Jesus' experience in the wilderness where he's tempted. This is where Jesus is tempted um, by Satan while he's fasting for 40 days and nights. You know, the devil knows when you're weakest. The devil knows when you're the most vulnerable. The devil knows the perfect time to try to mess you up. And when you haven't been eating and you're all alone and you're in a dirty, stinky, filthy desert, what a great time to fall into temptation. And so the devil knows that and he comes to Jesus and he begins to try to get Jesus to worship him and and to alter the the plan that God has for him. And, And Jesus says no. And how does he do it? Well, he yields to the spirit, but he also He also quotes the word of God. See, to be successful in your spiritual life, to do everything that God has called you to do, you need two things. You need spirit and you need word. You need the word of God because the word of God gives you direction, instruction, uh, insight, application, wisdom. That all comes from the word. And then you need Holy Spirit power to give you the divine enablement to accomplish what God has purposed for you. And if you will have spirit and word in your life, you will be a person who is able to fight the temptations that are before you. This is exactly what Jesus did. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days. Now, I've never done a 40-day fast, but I have done a little bit of fasting. And I can tell you, I was low energy. I can't even imagine. I have friends that have fasted for 40 days. I can't even imagine. They lost so much weight, I thought I was going to have to take them to the hospital. And you're not feeling so hot when you're fasting like that. And the devil preys on that moment, man. But also, fasting is a time that even though our physical body is weak, our spirit is awakened and alive and energized. And and, and so Jesus is is, is doing this battle, man, the spiritual battle. And, and we got to stop falling into temptation. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it a sin to be tempted? Has anybody ever felt bad? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> let me ask a question. Have you ever felt bad because you got tempted? I mean, I have. But it's not a sin to be tempted. Did you know that? Jesus was tempted. I'm going to tell you, you're going to leave today feeling so great you were at church. You're going to go home and tomorrow you're going to be tempted. Maybe tonight you're going to be tempted. Okay. That's part of being human. That's part of living on this earth. The the answer is not, am I tempted? The response is, what do I do when I'm tempted? Do I succumb to temptation? Sometimes people think, well, I was tempted. I had to do it. I had to sin. You know, like the door opened wide open. It was there. What, what do you expect me to do? I'm a guy. I mean, come on, you know? No, 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 no. You don't have to yield to temptation. You can resist temptation. 
You got word and spirit in your life. You don't have to do what the devil is putting before you to do. Don't, don't, don't fall into that. Don't fall into that trap. And Jesus was in the wilderness with the wild animals. Now, here's an interesting passage of the scripture right here. He was with the wild animals. And I don't know if like, you know, the lions and the bears wanted to come up and cuddle with Jesus or maybe they just saw him. I I don't know exactly. Somehow Jesus was with the wild animals and, and theologians have debated, well, what in the world was Jesus doing with the wild animals? And I don't really claim to have all the answers to that, but many think that this is a reference to Jesus being the new Adam. The only other person that was in the garden or that was with, with the wild animals in the garden of Eden was Adam. And Adam, uh, there in the book of Genesis in those early chapters was the last person mentioned with the animals. And unlike Adam, Jesus resisted the temptation of the serpent. So Jesus is, is a reflection of the, of, he's called the new Adam in scripture. And there's some similarities, but there's some differences. And one of the differences is that he didn't succumb to temptation, but Adam did. Adam ate the forbidden fruit. Jesus resisted the temptation of the serpent. And that's, that's how the story rolls. So this is a picture of all of creation living in harmony once more as it did in the Garden of Eden. And that's part of our eschatology and our end times belief is that God's going to reconcile the world and set everything back into order. So this is, this is a prophetic picture as well. Um, we fight temptation with scripture and spirit. And Jesus uh, personified that for us. Um, if Jesus got tempted... Uh, you know, you and I are going to get tempted. I can assure you. Um, I get tempted. I'm your pastor, okay? I get tempted. I know you're going to be tempted. All of us are going to be tempted. But what are we going to do in those moments where we're tempted to step off the ledge or to divert ourselves away from the path that we know that God has for us? I know that God wants me to go here, but I'm going to go over here. What do we do? We need word and we need spirit. That's why we should be reading scripture every single day. That's why we should be coming to church. That's why we should be reading Christian books. That's why we should be meditating on the things of God. Listen, I got to tell you today, I love the sermons that I preach to you. But this is not enough for your spiritual diet for you to walk in victory over temptation. If you don't read the Bible, if you don't think about the things of God Monday through Saturday... Sunday will not get it. It won't happen for you. But if you'll spend a little bit of time with God every single day, I think you might be shocked and amazed at the spiritual power and strength that's right before you that you could operate in. And it might just change your whole life. It's really amazing. So think about that. Think about that. We got to yield to the Spirit. The devil is a liar. And I fall into sin when I believe his lies. Listen, the devil was lying to Jesus. Read about it in Matthew chapter 4 there in the wilderness. Jesus, you know what? If you'll just do this, then this will happen. He always is lying. He's the father of lies. He's always bringing deception. He, He always wants you to think that if you move off of the path, that his path is better. And a lot of times the devil will take promises and words from God and he'll just tweak them a little bit so it sounds really spiritual and it sounds really good and it sounds really delightful and yet it's not the word of God. You know, he'll nuance a word 
He'll, he'll, did God really say that? You know, that's what he said in the garden in Genesis chapter three. I mean, come on, man. I mean, like God didn't really say to not eat of the tree, did he? Come on, Eve. Maybe you misheard something. You know, maybe, maybe you've forgotten and on and on and on and on. That's, that's the devil, man. He's a liar. God wants us to rise up and to walk with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, man. Are you ready for what God wants to do in your life. It's time to quit making excuses. It's time to quit talking ourselves out of the things of God. And it's time to get in divine rhythm and divine cadence with God and to start moving in the power of the Spirit and God's Word so that we can fulfill every purpose that God has put before us. Let's pray together.